Do you know the gospel according to Schultz? Schultz is the guy who drew the Peanuts cartoon. Do you remember? Little Charlie Brown was leaving the house and he saw his friend Snoopy the dog. He was sitting by the kennel and he looked very forlorn. So Charlie Brown went over to, Charlie, uh, to Snoopy and said, What's wrong, Snoopy? Oh, your bowl's empty. No water, no food. Don't worry, Snoopy. Someone will fill it up sometime. That's a caricature in cartoon form of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, looking at um, verses uh, 14, 20. I'll just read them now. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can some faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about this physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's quite a dramatic translation from James's epistle to Snoopy, but it's what he was trying to say. And there's the other passage, of course, which was mentioned in the film there, Matthew 25, when Jesus teaches about the sheep and the goats, which is a much more brutal passage when you look at it in stark nakedness uh, as you uh, read over Matthew 25. Because the sheep are those who follow Jesus. And they show Jesus' compassion and care for the needy. Goats, they, follow, they think they follow Jesus, but they don't show compassion for the needy. And both passages are about people who have faith, or they believe in uh, Jesus and God and all that he's done. And because he's shown compassion for us who have faith, then we share that compassion to other people. We share it to other people. And the key point in uh, Matthew 25 is verse 40. And the king will reply as he's trying to judge between the sheep and the goats. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brethren of mine, you did for me. It's a considerable challenge that has affected most of my life as I've tried to respond in lots of different ways to that. Because these verses are, are emphasizing that we need to have a faith that works. Not a faith that is separate from works. Two different things. An airy-fairy theoretical faith or something that actually takes action and is seen to follow God's direction. And it should be 
directed to the poorest and the most needy. The least of these is the way it's described in Matthew. But you say, hang on a minute, Ken. Think of the needs of the world. It's a mountain of needs. What can I do to cope with such a mountain of needs? I have my own needs. And I, of course, are the one who's ultimately responsible for myself. I have my family needs, and I have to care for them. I have my neighbor's needs because I see them from day to day and I have a rough idea of what's going on and whether their arthritis is getting worse or whether the kids are driving them up the wall. We don't have to go far in the paper to see the social needs round about us that, we, that affects us personally, but also in terms of how do we cope with these varying things. We see the needs of the country and, of course, we have all the needs of the world reported instantly through everyone's telephone and the messaging and the face app. It's a mountain. So don't make me feel guilty when you say help people in their need. Because we all have similar needs, don't we? We all need to eat. We all need to have shelter in one form or another. Uh, we all need water. We all need to be reasonably healthy and to protect ourselves, uh, both physically and mentally. So how do we choose what to do? I think it's like a drop in the bucket. And that's why, mysteriously, I appeared at the church with a bucket. It wasn't because I thought you were a dirty church. Just I wanted to remind you of something. If we just have one drop in that bucket, does it matter? Can we do anything with one drop? We need lots of drops. So if I gave you all a spoon and told you to go to the ladies' the kitchen and the gents and come back with a, a drop, it would take us a while. But it's even quicker if more people join and do it and share that responsibility. And certainly I've felt that as I've faced all the many difficult situations that I've seen uh, as a doctor in Zaire and in Guinea and in Chad. Uh, it's just heartbreaking to see this constant flow of need that never, never ends. Operating a cesarean section while I had uh, malaria was not easy, especially when I only had a tilly lamp to do it with. Um, dealing with the gunshot wounds from uh, the Angolan refugees as they came over the border. I remember quite dramatically, one of the guys crawled across from Angola, northern Angola, through the minefields, got shot in the leg. He had a hole. I could put my finger right through his leg. I could see daylight right through it. it took me a long time to, to repair that. And he crawled his way 100 kilometers to the hospital at Kimpesi. So having a, a bucket and a, adding drops to it is something I know quite a lot about. <clears throat> there was a very good illustrations not long ago. You may remember that there was a G8 um, World Conference meeting 
in uh, Glen Eagles, which is not all that far from where we now live, a few miles away. We don't live at Glen Eagles, we live a bit further away. And there was a very good cryptic campaign called the If Campaign at that time. Some of you may remember. But they produced a, a short film of only two or three minutes, which is still on YouTube if you want to see it. But it was a skit where all the G8 summit leaders were kids. And so there was a film of these little kids of various ethnicities arriving in their Rolls Royce and the helicopters and various posh uh, transport to a big mansion like Glen Eagles. And we saw them going in and sat around a big table to discuss what they were going to do with the world problems. And they were having a struggle to know how to deal with the world problems. And they said, it's getting difficult. But at that moment, there was a knock on the door. It was lunchtime. And so these posh waiters from Glen Eagles came with their dinner. And as they do in very posh restaurants, they were covered with silver bowls. And so each of these young world leaders were presented with a bowl. And then with a da-da, da-da, the lids were lifted. And they all saw what they got for lunch. Fish fingers and chips. The trouble is, everyone didn't get the same. Some got a great mound of chips and fish fingers. Some only got one or two, and some got none. The world leaders just looked aghast. What's going on here? Glen Eagle's staff are terrible. They can't even get the figures right. And one of the leaders says, hang on a minute. I've got an idea. Would you like one of my chips? And so they clicked. Oh, we can share it out. And so all the world leaders in the form of these young kids shared out their food. I thought that was a brilliant um, skit on world need because sharing it out is certainly going to help. Just last Sunday, I was, uh, we were on holiday in the Lake District. I came across an Anglican minister who just uh, created a charity called Throw a Starfish. That was the name of the charity. And he reminded me of the story behind that. You may have heard it. He was, uh, someone was walking along a beach after a big storm. And the beach was littered with starfish. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of starfish. And the guy was just walking along. He saw in the distance a little lad who seemed to be throwing stones into the sea. But as he got nearer, he saw that this little boy was picking up a starfish and throwing it back in the water. So the guy said to the little boy, what are you doing? There's thousands of these things. That's a wasted effort. Go and play with something else. So the little boy picked another one up and said, but it's made a difference to that starfish. That's what's important about a drop in the bucket. Because for some individuals, it makes the world of difference. You've seen it for South Sudan. I know what it's like when you're dealing with refugees when you're dealing with people who are at the bottom of the earth's pile. A lot of people try and do good, and certainly we need the politicians to get their act right, to try and look at ethical situations and try and make it the world a better place. But the distinction 
of motivation for the Christian is quite simply this. God wants to bless you. That's the strap line of the Bible from beginning to end in all sorts of different ways. That's what God is trying to explain in the Bible. I want to bless you. I want the best for you. And if we turn over to little, a very short Psalm 67, it has actually in a nutshell in those few verses something what I'm trying to say. Because in the very first verse, it says, the psalmist says quite clearly he is expecting God to bless us. Now that is a message that the whole world needs because the whole world doesn't cotton on to that. If you're a Muslim, it's not the, pro- the priority message. If you're Hindu, it's not a priority message. If you're an animist, it's not a priority. If you're a Shinto, it's not a priority. None of the other world religions have that at the core of the whole message. God wants to bless you. It's mind-blowing. But then he goes on to say, he wants, in verse 2, that his ways may be known throughout the earth. So what is that way? And it's quite simply this, the way of salvation. Now the term used there uh, by the psalmist is a lot bigger than we evangelicals give merit for because it's not just spiritual salvation. The term used in salvation was to deal also with uh, all our needs. Salvation, according to the Oxford Dictionary, means freedom of deliverance from factors which confine and constrain us. So that includes our spiritual. That includes our physical well-being. It includes our mental well-being. There are things that can constrain us and not allow us to be at our best. So it's not confined to just the spiritual. From way, way back, that was the sense of the word salvation. But we also have, how is he going to do this? And in these uh, verses that follow, he makes it quite clear the values of how he's going to do this is simple. He's, amongst other things, there are just three main ones mentioned here. There is joy. He wants people to have justice and fairness in their lives. And he wants them to have guidance from himself. How many of you do not want joy, guidance, or justice and fairness in your lives? You're not going to stick your hands up and say, I don't want it. Your friends and relatives aren't going to stick their hands up and say, I don't want any of that. That's a key to evangelism. This is what is being offered by God the Almighty. I want you to have that, and that's the value I am wanting you to share. And so this is what the psalmist is emphasizing as we share the salvation. Those are the values we're going to work by. And his great desire in verse 5 and 6 is that all peoples may praise God so that they may put him in his rightful place and they themselves may find themselves in their rightful place. It's only when people find that rightful place that they can have full cooperation or willing to do that. Because as it says at the end of um, uh, Psalm 67, verse 6, then the land will yield its harvest. 
My wife enjoys, well, we both enjoy gardening, but Maureen, since our retirement, we've got a, a veggie plot in the garden. I made her a veggie plot. It's just six, two meters by one meter, that's all. And she plants the carrots and the onions and the broccoli and all that kind of stuff. And if we have a really good year, we might survive for maybe a week. Over the fence, we look out onto a strawberry farm, Ledketty Strawberry Farm. They have up to 140 workers in the summer picking the strawberries. They have an enormous harvest. It's because there are more people willing to work together. And we're surrounded by farmland. We live near Perth. And we see the work of the farmers and the complexity of it. And our heart bleeds for them in the difficulties they face. But it's only when people cooperate together do you get a bigger harvest. That's what God searches for. That's what he longs for from his people. That they work together to do that. BMS started way back in 1792. And as you know, William Carey was uh, wanting to go to India, and a number of pastors were, had been working for the, getting over the theological issues of the hyper-Calvinism of the era to say, well, we're going to teach people about Jesus. We're going to spread the word. And the donations were collected that meeting amounted to 70 pounds, and BMS was started. And with those 70 pounds, they sent William Carey and a small group of other people, including his wife, um, to India to start the first ever organized mission agency in the world. 227 years ago, that was. And as you look at the patterns of... Uh, uh, Carey's uh, activities, it's quite clear the historians have seen the obvious thing. Evangelism, that's why he went there. So he spent a long time getting ready to prepare for the evangelism. It took seven years before there was a convert, but nevertheless that happened after he'd learned the language. But very soon he realized he needed to teach more about agriculture. In fact, he earned some of his living at the beginning in an indigo plantation. And he sent a letter off to BMS, give me seeds, they need help, they need better products. And because of the throng of people round about them, they started developing in schools with education. And because one of his colleagues was a Dr. Thompson, a medic, the veranda was full of sick people. They started dealing with that. And they entered into the problems of society through social work and, and the whole issue of justice because they entered into this terrible, terrible tradition in the Hindu world of their widow being put on the pyre of their de deceased husband alive. They did not wait. Once he, she was widowed, she was put on the pyre and burnt alive. And it took Carey a long time, some 20, 30 years, I can't remember the date exactly, when that was outlawed by working with the government agencies to stop this happening in the colonial era. And the educational establishment he, he developed, uh, Serampore College, is alive today with 3,000 uh, yes, 3, uh, pupils. I looked it up on the internet this week. Not only teaching theology, but also uh, uh, technical stuff 
and uh, arts and more complex uh, uh, understandings. So Carey found himself surrounded by the needy and he started doing the evangelism, the agricultural, the education, the medical and the social issues. And it suddenly dawned on me, hang on, I've, been, I've seen that list before. And it's on the BMS strategy for 2016-2020. Uh, I have some of these copies, but this gives an overview of what BMS is all about because it talks about the vision of what BMS wants to do. What is their prime purpose? The highest goal of all we do is to bring people to faith. That's the key. But he says, where are the values? What we want to do, we want to do it by showing love, by showing integrity, by showing our faith, and by showing excellence in all we do. And our priorities amongst the poorest of the world, the most marginalized people, least evangelized communities, and the most fragile states. There lie their priorities. But also you'll see these are the main themes of the work that they do. And some of them are very similar to what uh, Carey did. Church work, education, justice, health. We've added as the years have gone by the whole idea of development and the whole idea of showing, teaching uh, indigenous people better leadership and also the relief that you've been seeing on the, the video there. So the core values and the core objectives is really not far from what Kerry started off uh, a way, way back. And I know from my experience as a surgeon in, uh, in Congo that I could not do that on my own. It's impossible. How can I operate on people without the backup of other people who are willing to participate and contribute and be involved in that? Because I do it on your behalf. In, uh, in um, Uganda, there's one of our missionaries who is a speech therapist, has uh, found that in her speech therapy classes that she was gradually developing, that people with Down syndrome were being brought to because they were slow in speaking. And so she's developed a small group of people to give value to these Ugandan kids who are uh, of Down syndrome. And there is one of them on the front page of the Engage magazine. It's on your pews. It's not because he is innocent, which he is. His name is innocent. That is his proper name. And so the missionary is giving value and helping people not to reject the, the folk with disabilities, but to give them value. And they're learning this. And to the extent that it's been picked up on the local radio, so she's now developing uh, systems to encourage um, the local communities to accept these handicapped people. In, uh, we were in Nauta in Peru um, a couple of years back with a group from our church. One of our missionaries was working there, and we went there. And in Nauta, which is on the edge of the Amazon, it only has one road to it and one road out. No options. You either go in a canoe or you go on a Land Rover and you, to Iquitos, the city it's the only city in the whole wide world where you cannot get to in a vehicle because to get to Nauta, you have to fly in or go in a boat. However, the point of Nauta Center is to educate local pastors. 
And by that, they add value in their education because none of the local pastors have had any theological training whatsoever. But they're also taught how to live and how to uh, uh, grow crops that are better value so that they may be sustained because none of them get a salary. So it was a joy to be involved in seeing that actually working. And that was, in, uh, had a vision from the local Peruvian pastor at uh, Iquitos. And at the other end of the educational, uh, the, the sharp edge of evangelism, a letter I just got two days ago from the Fromans. Now, how many would have thought that being a, f a face makeup artist was a full qualification to be a missionary? But yes, it is. Because uh, Andrea is a makeup artist. And she works uh, with her husband in Spain, but they do programs for. This isn't being recorded, is it? No? It is. Right, I won't, I won't go into too many details because, because they prepare programs to be transmitted to the Middle East and North Africa. And so they, they try to keep things quiet in terms of publicity. But this is the kind of stuff that they've been doing uh, for uh, an international um, TV company. Uh, they do Facebook Live, which is a short program they can emit through the North Af um, Middle East, North Africa group, our monthly one-hour online program. Uh, we discuss the topic from that month, the Facebook campaign, in a much more overtly Christian way. Ian didn't get back until a week before the broadcast that he was preparing. So there was a lot of him, uh, for him to organize. Always when we are away, things get moved around and it's more difficult. However, there was enough time to, for God to answer our prayers about audio issues. The show discussed financial, finance in relationship to God, talking about our responsibilities. The Lord honored this time by answered, answering prayers for viewers and people who wrote in asking to help about their circumstances. Generally, we respond with an answer in the show and follow that up privately through Messenger or WhatsApp. The rest of our time has been spent catching up and telling, uh, uh, setting up productions for the autumn. But the response is interesting because they have one or two of the responses. Ab used to be Muslim, but now he is a follower of Jesus. He wrote during Facebook Live that people are trying to bring him down in his faith. We answer that God is, asking, is with him and that he should try not to worry about what people say. Another one, Muhammad told us on Facebook Live that he is a Christian, but that he struggles with money and spending it on unimportant things. He asks for wisdom in the spirit on how to use his provisions. And the final example one of the new staff members is Ash. He is a Muslim background believer. He is here helping fellow, uh, follow people up. He told us of his impressions of a conversation he was part of. The conversation was sent in audio message recorded through WhatsApp. A lady had contacted us wanting to know more about the word of God and who God is. Ash said he, should tell, uh, he could tell that in her questions she was scared of being discovered and he could hear 
when she looked around to make sure no one was listening in her recording. He thinks she's very courageous. So that's using technology at the sharp end of evangelism, as, uh, uh, as, which is effective to overcome the main boundaries. So I'll give you just a few examples of lots of different people making contributions. And none of that would happen unless everyone helped with a drop in the bucket. And it's only when you look over Psalms again that you realize God's plan is there. That as we work together, we, re we also help God get a bigger and more profound and effective harvest. Because we know it's only when there is a harvest that there is change. And that's what God is looking for. Because quite simply, God wants to bless us. And when I say us, I mean us as individuals, but humanity and the whole world, uh, because we are his creatures and are precious to him. So I hope that's given you food for thought as you contemplate the big issues of the drop in the bucket and the many needs that are uh, found in the world. And I hope you consider uh, and pray for the needy people that have been mentioned on the video because they're certainly in far more need than we are. God bless.